Okay, good evening everybody. Welcome to Resistance TV. Um, Sean Bloor and Lizzie Fletcher here. It's nice to be together for a change. And we're here at the Rialto for uh, Resist at the Rialto here in Brighton, which is the alternative to the Labour Party conference. And to be honest, where they've been discussing motions and rule changes, this is where the serious debates and conversations have been taking place over the last few days. So Lizzie, you haven't been here all the time. You've been over at uh, the World Transformed. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what you've been up to over the last few days? Hello, everybody. Uh, yeah, well, it started off with I arrived in Brighton and uh, sat by the side of the sea and had a cup of tea. And then I decided that uh, I would go around to the World Transformed and start painting. So I painted a few signs for the World Transformed and uh, then I went home to my brother's where I'm staying. The next day was a thing called the Ragged Trousered Troubadours by Grassroots Labour, which is uh, Crispin Flintoff. And I went along to there and Crispin said, ah, oh, panic, panic, we haven't got a video, a video videographer. Would you video our, our event? So I said, well, I won't video it all, uh, but I will do, I did, um, first of all, I did John McDonnell, then, um, can't remember his name, the Gypsy Roma Traveller guy, Alex, somebody, or Luke, Luke, sorry. Um, then uh, the guy who lost the Unite election, Beckett. Beckett. Howard Beckett. Beckett, yeah, Howard Beckett, yeah. And um, yeah, it was, it was very good. And even though it was cold and wet, there was a good spirit there. There weren't that many people. And that's what struck me. That's why I was going to mention that. Sorry, everybody rattling on there. I was going to mention that because um, I was astounded by so few people here. And I thought, well, it's early, you know, it's, it's, it's not even started. The actual conference hasn't even started. So uh, that's why. But it, that wasn't the case. Yeah, there, there are very few people here compared to previous years. You know, the, the impetus and, and the just sheer joy experienced by everybody was not present. And uh, where we had um, the entire TWT, we call it, the World Transformed, we had the entire uh, field filled with people to overflowing and you couldn't get in and there were queues. People were queuing for four hours to get into events and that, nothing like that. There were empty seats everywhere. So uh, people are uh, people are disillusioned, people uh, followed. But everywhere that Jeremy Corbyn went was packed. And people had driven from across the country to see him. So he's still inspiring something, isn't he? And I suppose uh, what I decided was that, that you know, however much that we might disagree or be divided even even try and divide ourselves we've got a common cause haven't we to sort homelessness to sort the nhs to to do all these things how can we even do them if we're fighting each other so i i, I made a conscious decision to to at least try not to throw up if i saw starmer or Jonathan Ashworth, who's intent on privatising our NHS, regardless of what he might say to you. Um, oh, here's Chris. <laughs> ah, here's Chris. Are you coming to join us? Hello, good evening, and welcome to this edition of Resistance TV, live from Brighton. 
Is that it? That's Is it. that your sole contribution? Sole contribution. Oh my Radio. goodness, that's the sign of the times. He's been avoiding all the interviews all day, you know, Sean and I have been doing them. Well, I hope well, you that... you spread the talent, comrade. But I hope that... What do you think has come of this weekend? Well, you haven't seen a lot other outside of the Resist event. What do you think of... You did go down to a JVL event last night, didn't you? Defend the left, sorry. A Defend the Left event. What did you think of the, the amount of people there? Well, it was a shadow of the last time I was at the Mercure Hotel when I spoke at the... Um, it was a Labour Against the Witch Hunt event and it was standing room only. And there's a real buzz there and I think a lot of people still had that maybe naive hope that there was a way that the Labour Party could be one for socialism and that, you know, we might still have the potential of a... You know, of a Labour government that, that could uh, bring about transformation or change, but that, those hopes have been dashed now, and I think a lot of people have left the party, a lot of people are disillusioned, a lot of people stayed away from the conference, and I think the soul of the Labour movement, as I've said to other people this week, wasn't down the road at the Labour Party conference, it was here at the Rialto Theatre. And uh, I think there's a real opportunity now for us to uh, build on what we've achieved here this week, this resist event in, in the Rialto Theatre and to uh, use that as a springboard to the Festival of the Resistance on the 16th and 17th of October and I think we've got a real chance of of, um, of you know galvanising people, bringing them together and the sort of thing that Ken Loach was speaking about at the end of his contribution just now upstairs when we did a, um, a Not the Ford Inquiry uh, um, session and uh, I just think, uh, yeah, we do have an opportunity but we've got to seize the moment, we've got to seize the moment because those people that were inspired by Jeremy Corbyn, those people that support the the policies that Jeremy was spearheading haven't disappeared. But as Ken, Ken Loach was saying, it's important that we don't allow that, that energy, that enthusiasm for those policies to, to dissipate. So we've got to find a way and we've got to use, therefore, I think, the Festival of Resistance to uh, use that, as I say, as, as that springboard to, to, to go on to the next step. Because in the end, we have to remember we are many and they are few. Brilliant. Hey, could, uh, I, that's my first turn at interviewing Chris. Well, for a couple of years anyway. Yes. <laughs> and certainly on this platform. And what I'd add to that is that, yes, we're all still here. All of you who are suffering are still here. And we're all still suffering. So something went wrong somewhere. And even with Jeremy Corbyn at the helm, well, nearly at the helm, uh, we still didn't succeed because we had everything pitted against us, this whole establishment, the war machine, the USA machine, the Israeli machine. We've had everything against the people of Britain because they're scared that we'll rise up. And you don't know the power of your vote. If we all voted, and we all voted for someone who wasn't establishment, then we would make a, a huge difference. So. We, we can't do that because the establishment has control of the voting system as well. So all we can do is say come to the Resist Festival in, in October. Um, Sham will give you the details because I keep forgetting them. 16th and the 17th and we can build a movement. Let's build this movement up. And uh, as I've said, you know, there are, there are hundreds of thousands, potentially millions of people. And, uh, you know, we just have to remember that when we stand together, we're strong. And when we stand together, anything is possible. Literally anything is possible. And we've just got to give people confidence. 
that through the strength of their collective endeavour, through the strength of that solidarity, they need, whether we're in, in you know, government or not, we can absolutely make a difference. And in the end, don't put all our eggs, but don't put all our faith in electing leaders and sending them to Parliament or sending them to the Town Hall. That's only one part of the political equation. The real strength of any political movement is the people. Yeah. It's the people on the ground, it's the grassroots, and it's about mobilising that and giving people that, that, as I say, that confidence that they, they, you know, they, they are powerful and they, 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 they can make a difference. And uh, I'm still very, well, I'm very hopeful. I'm more hopeful, at, you know, at the end of this week uh, than I was at the start of it. And yeah. I hope I'll be even more confident again at the end of the Festival of Resistance. We've got some fantastic speakers coming. Huda uh, Amari is, uh, is from Palestine Action. She's just Shut, close down, Albert. Absolutely. And, and that is just... Inspiration. It just shows you, you know, the power and, and, and what... We, 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 there's a meeting where, that Huda, Huda addressed today with uh, Natalie Strecker, another inspirational woman. Uh, Issa Almero uh, from uh, uh, Hebron was speaking uh, live. Issa Winstanley was speaking as well. But uh, Huda talks about a, a, a campaign against the factory in Leicester. They occupied the factory there. They closed it down. The fire, FBU, the, the fire brigade uh, was called out. The fire brigade union members went on. They refused to help the police to dislodge them. But then the local residents were coming out. It started out with 20 uh, Palestine Action activists. Then it built to about 50 local people, then to several hundred local people. And then what they were finding then was that the local, and this was a relatively affluent part of Leicester, local people were coming out and actually, when the police were then going in to try and drag them out, and blockading the police. Fantastic! I mean, and that's the sort of thing that we need to be, uh, that spirit that we, that we need to be uh, building around the country. It just shows you that, you know, you can actually mobilise people. Mobilise people on an international issue. I mean, you know, it doesn't necessarily affect directly those people in Leicester, but they were they were inspired by what they saw. They were appalled that they got an arms manufacturer in their midst, an arms manufacturer that was actually, you know, creating, building weapons that are used against Palestinian people, against Palestinian children. And they came out in their hundreds. And that's a, that's a model, I think, that we need to be trying to replicate. And I think we can. Thank you very much. Over to Sham. <laughs> Natalie Strecker's just leaving and she wants to get a bag which is in the cupboard behind us so uh, yeah Chris if you could just open that cupboard for Natalie to get her suitcase no you can't go without your bag going back to Jersey and um, many of you will know Natalie Strecker is a Palestinian um, activist or activist for the Palestinian cause um, very very strong speaker and she truly is inspirational you'll be able to catch up with her at the festival of resistance in october on the 16th and 17th um, you can get tickets bye bye tickets are available at www.resistfest.co.uk and you can buy those uh, through the eventbrite link so um, what we've been doing over the last couple of days is we've, uh, we've met up with a lot of different speakers and we've been doing some Vox Pops with them and we're going to be playing those so we'll be able to get a flavour of some of the speakers that you'll be seeing at the festival and a flavour of, of what we've had um, experience of over the last few days. Um, as I said, this is where the real debate's been happening at the Rialto. Um, we've had some great talks and discussions and uh, it makes me really excited for our festival um, in October. Absolutely. So, Chris, do you want to uh, to wrap this up then? Yeah, well, um, as Shana just said, we've uh, been uh, interviewing all three of us, uh, Lizzie, uh, uh, myself and Sean, 
Uh, and we're going to play those to you now. Hi Ed, thank you for joining us at uh, the Resist event at the Rialto. How are you doing? Very good, thank you. Fantastic meeting, pleasure to be here. Great. Um, um, you've come down today uh, to represent the Workers' Party or the General Secretary. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the, the feeling you all get about the, uh, the Labour conference so far? I've got to say I'm only a secretary, not the General Secretary, but uh, very interesting time at Labour conference. Uh, a lot of people would have said after the collapse of the Corbyn project, if you will, uh, it was all over. I would still argue the Labour Party is over. But some very uh, exciting developments, especially with the Bakers Union disaffiliating, uh, the motion on Palestine, I think it was yesterday. So things are up in the air, and obviously we've got events like Resist happening. So there is an alternative, there are various alternatives, and people are finding their way. You know, it was uh, dark days after the collapse of Project Corbyn, but there are definitely new things on the horizon. So. And obviously we're very excited that uh, Josie Bra is going to be joining us at our Resistance Festival in October on the 16th and 17th. Um, so come along and see Josie there. Um, so you've come along and you've just been um, in a discussion about Palestine. So what, what were your thoughts on that? Inspirational. And uh, it really goes to show that the struggle is international. Um, we heard from Huda from Palestine Action, you know, the struggle's not just in Palestine, it's here as well, it's here on the streets of Britain and it's really fantastic to hear things like, you know, they're occupying factory buildings, the police are calling the Fire Brigade's Union, oh sorry, the Fire Brigade to intervene and the Fire Brigade's Union are refusing to intervene in these actions so it shows workers are coming together here, you know, and you know, uh, fighting for, for workers, people elsewhere. Yeah, it was a, a brilliant act of solidarity, particularly from the Fire Brigade Union. And we certainly need to see more of that from, from trade unions and uh, unionists um, all over. Um, I know there was solidarity from some um, port unions. and They were refusing to accept um, ships into, uh, into different uh, harbours and unload them, which was great. We want to see loads more of that happening as well. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So what next, what's next for the Workers' Party, Ed? So the next major event will be the 2022 May elections, the local council elections. That's, that's the big next target. And just keep growing, keep fighting, you know, keep spreading the socialist message. Absolutely. And um, as all socialists, we need to come together on the left to fight the right, uh, to fight this tyranny that's taking over this country um, and to um, come together in solidarity, um, get a strategy and uh, let's take our country back. Absolutely. Well, thanks very much for joining us Thank today, you. Ed. Nice to see you again. Okay, well I'm here now with Deepa Driver who is the Chair of Momentum in Camden and also a UCU uh, activist and I just want to get your thoughts Deepa on uh, what you've witnessed so far at conference this week, what's your feelings? Um, Chris, I've, I haven't actually been at conference, I've only been here at the Resist event um, and it's been quite, quite uplifting actually to see so many people, both young and old, who've been able to um, who have so much courage and so much so much ability to withstand the kind of horrors that have been inflicted upon the Labour Party because clearly a lot of these people care about what's happening within the Labour Party and yet I, it just amazes me that they haven't already lost hope because 
I think Keir and others have done everything they can to possibly stamp out any hope from the Labour Party. So that surprises me. I, I was really impressed by Huda Mori and her colleagues in Palestine action in terms of their willingness to take direct action to stop us from murdering people everywhere. Um, really enjoyed hearing Hada Karmi speak and um, and Tony and Jackie were great. That's, that's that. Tony Greenstein and Jackie Walker, of course. That's right. And uh, enjoyed hearing the way in which the audience was interacting. It, it, this felt more like a proper Labour Party meeting than what's happening across the road. Well, I've described it as the soul of the Labour movement. It has been residing at the Rialto Theatre for the Resist event rather than down the road at the Labour Party conference. So I think you'd probably agree with that by what you just said there. Absolutely. And I think it's nice to see, you know, people who, who've been smeared, like yourself, for example, who, who are not willing to take it lying down, who will stand up and will challenge it. And that's... That's really important, I think. And we've just been in the most inspiring meeting probably of the week uh, with uh, Palestine uh, Solidarity. Uh, we had uh, Palestine Action, we had uh, Natalie uh, Strecker and uh, Issa Amro uh, and Asa Wynn Stanley speaking at it. And it was an incredibly, I thought, moving uh, uh, meeting. And uh, we had the added bonus news, I suppose, uh, at the end there that we just heard that uh, the Bakers Union had disaffiliated from the Labour Party. What's your reaction to that news? I think, I think more unions need to think about why they're funding the Labour Party because the Labour Party is now working under Keir Starmer for the 1% in society. It doesn't stand for, for workers, it doesn't stand for the working class. It, does, it abstains on any issue that matters for the working class and the MPs are only there to feather their own nests rather than to do anything for ordinary people. And it's okay to do a little bit of, you know, um, uh, uh, pretend solidarity here and there, but actually when it comes to putting their necks on the line, they're all in it for themselves, and I don't want to be part of a party that is like that. Yeah, indeed, and uh, perhaps just in conclusion, uh, Leah Levine, who is the joint chair of the Jewish Voice for Labour, has just been expelled from the Labour Party, uh, and she's basically saying that people need to stand up and essentially saying, well, what's the worst that they can do? The consequences uh, of standing up and expressing solidarity here is you might get expelled from the Labour Party. You're not going to get snatched from the street. You're not going to be shot. You're not going to be tortured, which is what people like uh, Issa Amro are actually facing on a daily basis in Palestine. So she's basically saying, you know, we, those of us on the left, you know, and those of us who are nervous about standing up to the Starmer regime need to kind of grow a, a, a spine, need to grow a backbone. And would, I guess you would probably have something to say about that. What's your thoughts, Deeper, on that just finally? Um, well, actually, I was talking about this to, to some other comrades and asking, and other JVL comrades, funnily enough, and asking them why it is that people are so scared. Because it strikes me that many of these people are not uh, spineless people. They are actually quite courageous people. And they recognize right from wrong so why are they so scared and one of the things that he said is intimidating a lot of our Jewish comrades is um, is the intimidation and harassment they're getting when they stand up and when they speak out and when they step out of line and that seems to me to be um, to be quite a I mean I, I, I didn't know about that but I was really surprised that that was what was holding people back because you know I, I can understand when people say, okay, well, I'll wait, I'll fight till they kick me out and I'll try and 
rescue the soul of the Labour Party, so to speak. And to some extent, I can understand that. I'm not sure I actually believe in it, but I can understand why people feel that way, because why should we be kicked out of the party by a bunch of cuckoos? But on the other hand, um, if any time you get into any position of power within the Labour Party, or if you have, um, if you manage to get enough of a of a group to caucus within the Labour Party, and then every time that happens, Labour officials or those on the right can kick you out, then what is the point of building that group in the first place? I I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know the answer to that. It's just that I'm not quite sure. I want to classify them as being spineless which is what I would have done probably even a couple of days well ago. I think I think the key thing is uh, for me anyway that uh, solidarity uh, something that we regularly speak about on on this program is the key and uh, when we stand together we're strong and uh, and I think we need to support each other and if we do that then we will prevail in the end I'm absolutely confident of that anyway thanks very much indeed for taking the time to speak to us deeper and uh, we'll be in touch some sort of soon thanks a lot cheers I'm here with Natalie Strecker. She's just been speaking about the... Sorry, I'm trying to do a sound test at the same time. We're pre-recording this for tomorrow's show on the Resist TV. And I'm here with Natalie Strecker. She's a wonderful woman who's done her best after being a human rights monitor in Hebron in Palestine. She's doing her best to try and get people to recognise the, the, the fact that we are murdering people across the world that we don't even know and we don't even know that we are doing it well our government is doing it so we've come here to Brighton on the fringes of the Labour Party conference to make sure that as many people as we can influence are influenced by what these people are saying and Natalie's just given a, a, an astounding story to to the cameras which went out live on the resist event but tomorrow night we're hoping that you'll just get a flavor of what's been happening so what what do you think of the fact that you spoke to people today how does that make you feel um well i think um I mean, it's a real privilege, I would say, first of all, to be here, Lizzie. I mean, to be invited to come and actually to be around comrades. I think I feel quite lonely sometimes being in Jersey and the Channel Islands. I'm a bit of a lone voice at times. Um, so that's been really encouraging in terms of being able to share, obviously, my experiences and also hearing from Issa Amro, who's a human rights defender, obviously, um, and a good friend of mine based in Hebron. Um, and also Huda, you know, obviously, of Palestine Action. I mean, it was a, and Ace as well um, yeah it, it's it's a real privilege but listening to those stories I suppose it, it brought back home to me what it was like and um, what I witnessed and the emotions and the processing that was required after that from serving in Hebron um, and also reminded me of why we need courage and why we need summit I am I said obviously in my talk that I'll always assert that it was the Palestinians that helped me find my voice really um, because I used to shake and stutter trying to talk in front of people um, and I think that when I got to see what it was that they were facing um, I thought what am I worried about I'm worried about my pride I'm worried about somebody laughing at me but you don't die from people laughing at you 
And, you know, whereas the Palestinians are facing guns, they're facing bombs, they're facing the attempted erasure of them physically, you know, and also their history um, from the region. So I think it just this opportunity to speak to people, and it was so well received, I'm really grateful for that, just really gave me um, a bit of a boost, if I'm honest. But it's been great to come down and obviously with, you know, what's going on in the Labour Party, which is a racist endeavour, and I can't get expelled now because I've left, so... <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, so I think that um, witnessing that and despite everything and despite their gerrymandering and everything else, they managed to get a motion through yesterday, obviously um, confirming that Israel is guilty of apartheid, like we needed ever a motion to do that, you know, the facts on the ground demonstrate it. Well, I, I was going to say, that we only have the one mic people, I'm very sorry. Um, I was going to say to you that the the people are poo-pooing the the policy that got well the motion that got passed yesterday, but what I say is that that has given so much hope to all those people in Palestine and across the world who are suffering genocide every day. And they're like you, you somebody was saying about the drones. I think it was Huda, was it? Huda was saying about the drones that uh, they, they pass across the skies every day, every moment of every day, and you never know whether that drone is just filming you or whether it's going to drop a bomb on you or, or fire a weapon at you and kill you, and that's the end of your life. So, yes, to, to, face, to face recriminations or laughter or even being expelled... I wasn't... Well, I was expelled from the Labour Party by Tom Watson and Luciana Berger, but... I think that's a claim to fame, really. Um, but BuzzFeed played a big part in that. They they tried to take down independent media, and um, BuzzFeed wrote a, a really bad story about us, and then uh, rang me up and asked me for comment. And I said, "Do you think I'm going to speak to you? <laughs> you can go away." So anyway, whatever whatever we think that we face and makes us angry. So all those people who who have been expelled from the Labour Party or been feel picked on, uh, uh, yeah, their, their grief is legitimate, but it, it is as nothing compared to what these people are, are facing day in and day out, isn't it? And do you think, like me, that this this motion passed yesterday was? It was a very small victory in amongst a, a huge mess of failures and defeats, but it's it's the start. It's the start of the change, um, and we will declare Israel apartheid, same as we declared Africa apartheid, and we will defeat them. And do you think that that's that's had that much effect? I mean, you have to speak for Issa because unfortunately we can't interview Issa today. Uh, he's in Palestine, so if you could speak for Issa and what you think that that effect, that has had the effect that that has had on his him and his people, could you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, well, Issa obviously referenced it in his in his talk, his contribution um, just before, and he stated that it is a victory. You know, for them, it does give them hope because despite everything being weighted against them, despite everything they could in terms of who they allowed to get into that arena, it got through anyway. We know that largely it's just going to be symbolic, but symbolism is huge, and this is why the Israel lobby 
is you know losing it to be honest let's let's face it they're having a little bit of a hissy fit at the minute and the reason is because no matter what they're doing they're losing control of the narrative and I think this is a thing you know when I of course I, I said this before name calling is not nice but look at what the Palestinians are facing being expelled from Labour Party for some people that's significant obviously because they've invested so much time energy and emotion into it but do you know what actually none of this matters we know history will redeem us um, in time and and we should take comfort in that but actually this is not about us this is about the Palestinians this is about the fight for ordinary people that are facing apartheid that are facing incremental genocide that are facing bombs and bullets and all the things that I've already mentioned before so although it's symbolic it is significant if it wasn't Israel lobby wouldn't and look look at how they cut the feeds you know all oh, we lost the feeds yeah okay whatever um, but you know and I think that's the thing is they are losing the narrative it doesn't matter what they're throwing at us and actually in some ways some people when they go well what is that about then and they start investigating what's going on because some people who genuinely want to know there's those who will just accept whatever the mainstream media say um, but there's lots of people who will drill down into it and actually started lots of conversations so actually I think Israel although at the moment they're winning and Israel lobby are winning I actually think they're shooting themselves in the foot and I long for the day and it will fall it will fall and when that day comes we will know where we stood and we can be proud of that I'm here with Leah Levine the joint chair of the Jewish voice for Labour and she's just been auto expelled from the Labour Party Leah tell us your reaction to that decision well the whole thing about possible auto exclusion which was it was in August and now it's actual auto exclusion is it's Orwellian it's Kafkaesque and it's a bit McCarthyite all rolled into one because it's literally a have you now or have you ever um, supported an organization which we subsequently decided to proscribe it's complete madness and their definition of supporter is drawn amazingly wide um, so my crimes uh, were that 18 months ago I signed an open letter uh, organized by Labour Against the Witch Hunt, which is one of the proscribed organizations. And that was a letter to Rebecca Long-Bailey asking her not to sign the Board of Deputies uh, of British Jews' um, 10 pledges. And the other crime was to uh, speak at a, an online meeting of Labour in Exile Network, another proscribed organization. So the organizations were prescribed on uh, 20th of July. They changed the rule book on the 22nd of July. And so for a crime I did in March 2020 and February 2021, and actually I told them I also did one in December 21, um, uh, 20, uh, I've on the, uh, sorry, so I should also add that I was a delegate to conference. Yeah. And uh, although I was, I've been expecting to have my expulsion letter, I actually haven't had, hadn't had. And so my delegate credentials were sent and I was a delegate for the first day of conference. And on the second morning of conference, miraculously my delegate pass didn't work. And there were two emails in my, in my, uh, that, you know, on my phone that I had forgotten to check. One telling me that I had been, uh, they hadn't accepted any of my arguments and I was expelled. And the other six minutes later telling me my application to be a delegate had been refused on the basis of my change membership. So one of my reactions is mm, any political organization. So uh, 
the Tory party, the Green party, the, the uh, Labour Friends of Israel. These are not official Labour Party affiliates. Um, so are all those people, and I'm, I would welcome a Tory who genuinely changes, or a Green Party member, SNP member, who thinks it's a good idea to be part of the Labour movement, Labour Party, why not? I mean, I'm told as well that uh, uh, somebody's done some number crunching and uh, that the, the absurdity of this uh, bogus anti-Semitism uh, uh, furore that's been going on on the witch hunt means that you're between five times more likely if you're Jewish to be expelled from the Labour Party, if you're just a regular grassroots uh, Jewish member, uh, uh, but if you are a, uh, a member of the JVL's Jewish Voice for Labour's uh, committee, is it something like 200 times more likely yeah. to be expelled? So this is the absurdity. And of course, anti-Semitism is real, even in the Labour Party. It's not bogus to say there's anti-Semitism in the Labour Party. What is bogus is to say the Labour Party is rife with it. The best evidence is that less than 0.4% of members have even been accused. So let's give them the benefit of the doubt and say actually all of them are guilty. All accused are guilty. That's 0.4%. So that is hardly a party that's rife. And yes, uh, we, and we have complained to the party, to the EHRC, and we've copied it to the Ford inquiry, ha ha ha, um, that you are actually, the, the figures we, with the, again, these are best estimates from our friendly statistician, is that you are four times more likely to be accused if you're a Jewish member. You're about 30 times more likely to be accused if you're a JVL member. And you are 235 times more likely to be accused of anti-Semitism if you are an officer of Jewish Voice for Labour. I, I mean, I'm told as well, I mean, well, not told, I mean, I heard you say this, actually, that, uh, you know, to, to address this nonsense that's been going on, we, we, you know, people need to be a bit braver and we need to stand in solidarity. What, what would you be your message to, to people to, for the benefit of our viewers who are maybe concerned about, yeah. you know, standing up against this witch hunt? Well, I've actually just been talking with someone who lost her job. Um, not, and ironically, wasn't wasn't expelled from the Labour Party, although she has since resigned because for her mental health. I mean, really. It, so actually, there is a risk. Um, so one of the things, that, but but one of the things I do say, certainly older people like me have already retired. The risk is fairly small. It's not pleasant, but actually, the more people who stand up and say this is nonsense. Um, Let's actually deal with the real anti-Semitism that does exist, including the Labour Party. Let's deal with that. Let's deal with all forms of racism properly. Um, then the, the, the better. But uh, Sorry, I'm a little shocked because literally just before this interview, I was talking to someone who lost her job a few years ago. And it was absolutely fabricated. And it happened not to be the Labour Party this time. And that's the other thing, of course, that when you stand up for Palestine... The accusation, this isn't new, the accusations of, of anti-Semitism for standing up for Palestine and for criticizing Israel is a long, long, long known tactic. Yeah. I mean, and I guess just, you know, finally... Sorry, wait a minute, because we're supposed to be in a, in a different place. Yes, we are. We'll, be, we'll, 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 we'll close here now. But I, I'm always reminded about the, uh, the poem by Pastor Niemöller, when he, which, you know, the first they came, first they came for the communists and they didn't speak out because it wasn't a communist, and then they came for the trade unionists and they didn't speak out, and yeah. then they came for the Jews and they didn't speak out, and then they came for me and there was nobody left. Yeah. And, and that's the danger. If we don't stand together in solidarity, we're all done for, aren't we? Yep, we'll have a hollowed out party, and I, I am worried, and um, I think Starmer's quite keen to break the links with the unions. I don't know, uh, and some of the unions, in fact, today, the, the or 
we understand the Bakers Union has uh, disaffiliated, and although I completely understand it, I wonder if it just helps the Starmer to pave the way to become much more like the Democrats in America, where the difference between the two main parties will be even more negligible than it is at the moment. I mean, I think we're probably already there, and, and, and maybe the Bakers Union could be the uh, the catalyst perhaps to you know create something better something new something better but we'll time will tell we'll see but thanks for taking the time You're to welcome. speak to us and best of luck for the future Leah cheers thank you cheers hello I'm here with Terry Terry is uh, an ex Falklands war veteran who was never political in his life and he decided that there was a man who who piqued his interest and spoke truth and he decided that oh, I might quite like to listen to what this man has to say that man was Jeremy Corbyn and so six years later here we are at the resist event in Brighton outside the fringes of the Labour Party conference and I'd just like to give Terry a chance to say what what makes him tick now because Jeremy Corbyn is not leader of the Labour Party he's basically ostracised by the Labour Party now so how does Terry think that we can go forward? Thank you for uh, asking me a question that I wasn't expecting to get um, they're my favourite questions the ones I'm not expecting to get so thanks very much Lizzie no um, it doesn't really matter to me whether Jeremy Corbyn is still the leader of the Labour Party or not. It would be great if he was, in an ideal world in my opinion, because he's the man who inspired me to come and change the habit of a lifetime, which was, that habit of a lifetime was someone who not only was never involved in politics before, but had never even voted before, up until general election 2017 at the age of 56, which is quite weird, given as I'd actually gone and fought for my country um, as a 21-year-old in the Falklands War, but I'd never actually voted for any of the politicians who would send me, <laughs> send me there. Um, so for me, this has always been about a journey and for me personally, but it's not obviously just about me because there's hundreds of thousands of other people who came into the Labour Party and some who came back into it for the very same reasons. So I'm just happy to be uh, part of the sim symbolism of that, which, which, and that symbol, what it is symbolising is, is a change in British politics. And I think what we've seen the last couple of days yesterday with the, uh, the motion that was passed in uh, uh, Palestine, uh, the Israeli apartheid motion that was passed in the Labour Party yesterday with the disaffiliation today of the Bakers Union with Andy McDonald resigning from the front bench of the Labour Party what's happening is a thing that I've been wishing is going to happen all my life which is the dismantling of one off the uh, institutions of the British establishment uh, which was the thing that's kept me out of being politically active all my life and voting so I'm overjoyed about it I'm sorry about Jeremy Corbyn he's still here he's still got a role to play he's still a big inspiration he's still a big inspiration to me if he's around I'm going to go and listen to the man speaking because I, I, I've got a, a, a debt to owe to that man no matter what happens the rest of my life or his life I will still remember that he's the guy who influenced me to give me my voice and to give me the strength to, to do what I'm doing now and I hope that he's done that the same for everybody whether you stay in the Labour Party or whether you join something else but the important thing is is that we've got to keep the family together it doesn't matter to me what label you wear on your rosette or what you know what party you're in or what party you're not in. If you're all batting for the same team, and that team is is to get rid of the a the Tory regime and the establishment regime, which keeps the 99.9% of this country suppressed and subjugated and divided. That's what I'm here for, and I think that's what everybody else is looking for as well. That that that, that share my that share my views, of course. 
Well, I think if you if you looked at it, you, you'd find that everybody shares your views. They just perhaps don't realise. Yeah. And we we are all busy. Uh, Terry and I tried to get a sandwich earlier, and we went into Marks and Spencers in Brighton, just because they do nice food, and it's just around the corner from where we are. So uh, as we stepped through the door, Terry said, "Well, this is a bit too much for me. I don't, I'm not sure I can come in here." And I said, see, you're self-excluding yourself. So uh, uh, why do we have all these barriers? And then he felt guilty about something else. And then he felt guilty about something else. And it's like we, we self-censor and, and we self-divide. Uh, and we, we put ourselves down and we don't realize uh, the qualities and skills that we each have and how important voicing those skills and talents are and those voices are to ordinary people who might, from your speech, might gather the impetus and the strength to speak themselves, and it might turn out that they have something really important to say. Absolutely. People have got lots of important things to say, you know, and one of the things I always sort of try and strive to do is remember where I come from myself and having your own personal journey and and, and associating that with with anybody else and people um, you know rather than for me personally and I, I know different people have got different ways of doing things Lizzie and I, and I, and I applaud them for whatever way they do it. I think my particular way is is that I tend not to want to uh, highlight people's deficiencies and what they you know what they can't do I want to uh, encourage people and empower people to, to find the things that they can do and the things that they're capable of doing but they may not know it just yet it may be residing in the depths of their, their guts and their, their, their boots the bootlaces or wherever it might be but it's in there and I know that from experience from the past and things I've done before even before the politics thing I know that the human condition has got that within it um, so people have got those abilities and, uh, and so that's what I want to focus on rather than sort of uh, you know making people focus too much on the sort of negative side of the things they're incapable of doing is to make them understand and realize that they've got so much more that they've got inside them which can come out and when it comes out when you do it the experience the exhilaration this pride that you have in yourself it's, it's 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 almost the words I'm speaking now don't really do it justice because because you can't you, you can't do justice to an emotion to a feeling until you've not experienced it words. not with mere words they help because they help to inspire other people but the but but the but but the real turning point is when you feel it when you feel it and you can't express it in words that's the that's the sweet spot and, and not many people experience that and when you do it, it means that you're you're starting to express yourself you're starting to find your true self and that's a, that's a great thing to witness we saw some of it today didn't we we certainly did yeah. and uh, what i wanted to add as well was that um you you said something to me about when you speak when you when you were campaigning for corbyn and for the labor during the general election you would go to people's doorsteps and and you would say to them um, why do you think you're right? Could you tell us a, a little bit more about that, please? I could probably tell you a lot about that. <laughs> a little bit. Uh, if anybody's watching this, you might have spoke to me before. They might know that little bits aren't kind of in my uh, thing, so I'll, I'll try my best. No, um, I think there's a cultural thing. In, in this country, this, this nation of ours, the British Empire, it's a massive global, probably the strongest ever that's been in this world, right? And they perfect things that some of us don't even know about. Uh, we might have glimmers of it, but things like the divide and rule, 
uh, strategy and, and the propaganda and sometimes it happens to people who don't even realize it so you, you end up buying into it you, you become indoctrinated you become conditioned to it so you end up so I hear people saying all the time as I say I'm a relatively new to politics so um, I feel a bit privileged in the sense that I can bring this into the into the in, onto the table because um, as I said I don't think people necessarily realize it and what it is is how do we overcome the media right people say we got the media against us we got well of course we have I mean, I mean I mean even before the media as we know it was was invented the TVs and the radios and the newspapers and stuff like that it's been going on since time immemorial the media has always existed you know state propaganda has always existed and the divide and rule has always existed so how do you get people to understand the truth against what the press would say why let the truth get in the way of a good story okay so so I brought that to the doorstep. When I first joined the Labour Party, um, within a couple of minutes of being in my first meeting, I was writing my notepad. There's a, there's a, this is maybe what you were thinking about, Nathan, what, I was, what we spoke about earlier, um, was that there's a, there's a clear culture of I'll tell you why you're wrong rather than ask you why you think you're right. And to me, that's the difference between engaging with people and dictating to people, okay? And, 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 and you talked earlier about like how we we um, make people have the strength and the courage to speak out and find their voice. Well, to me, that's the key to it. The key is, is, is not making them feel reliant on you to tell them everything they have to do in their lives and how to do it, um, but to encourage them to, to, to have faith and, and strength in what they believe. And, what, and also the humility thing again. Um, you know, don't be frightened to speak out, even if you're wrong, you know? because it encourages other people to speak and then you can discuss it and you can upgrade your information or upgrade your knowledge. So going on the doorsteps for the Labour Party, I find that the Labour Party um, who have that culture of I'll tell you why you're wrong rather than ask you, think, think you, ask you ask why you think you're right, brought that culture out onto the doorstep. So what I did was when I went on the doorsteps with people, um, I understood the fact that most of the information if not all the information people get an understanding is from the mainstream media so I wouldn't be upset with them I wouldn't try and put them right I would try and understand why they understood that yeah and what it does and so so that so the essence of it is to keep this short the essence of it is it's to build trust and relationships with people it's got nothing to do with politics it's everything to do with humanity it's got everything to do with how we relate to each other and how we stop each other and reduce the risk of any of people feeling alienated to feel suspicious to feel paranoid to feel as though you're there to do them down um, to, to trick them in some way or to dictate to them and tell them how stupid they are or how you know better and so bring people on the same level and earn the right earn the right to speak to those people on the same level because we are on the same level it's just finding it and, and to me that's the key so I had a great deal of success doing that in the doors you know and, I, and, I, and uh, we might not even talk about politics you know in the end but it was all about building that relationship up again building trust so that when you knocked on the door they didn't just see the Labour rosette and say oh the Labour Party they saw a human being they saw someone who's on the same level with them in fact lots of times I go out and campaigns and take the Labour stickers off and stuff like that because I didn't want people to make that direct sort of sim symbolic association I hope that makes some sort of sense Hi, I'm here with Mitchell. He's a lad who um, didn't realise that he had a class until fairly recently. And uh, I wanted to ask you, what brought you to Brighton? What brought you to this event, the Resist event? 
So I came to Brighton because I've got family here. Um, and I used to kind of come here every summer to like visit them type thing. And I've always just loved it. I love being by the beach. Um, it's very kind of liberal and lots of cultures and different types of people and things. And um, I, I wanted to move here for a while, but I just kept putting it off and putting it off. And eventually I was like, right, I'm packing my car and I'm driving down and that's what I've done. Um, and in this event, I met um, Natalie yesterday at where I work. She came in to get some food. And then um, I kind of overheard them talking and, and then I kind of asked them some questions and then I told them how I was kind of at my beginning stages of kind of learning all about politics and classism in particular. And, um, and yeah, then Natalie gave me a list of things to look up um, and then she invited me here tonight, so here I am. Brilliant. Um, what do you think of, uh, you were talking about the classism, is what you're particularly interested in? Yeah, I think, um, I don't know if that's because that's probably the one that affects me the most, which is maybe why my initial interest is in that. Then of course, in, in that, there's a lot of different you know, factors like gender, race, and so then I start to learn about them as well and that impacts on, but it kind of be began with classism. I think, um, and probably most particularly in Scotland, um, and that's yeah, that's kind of how it's how it's began. And now I'm just kind of packing up wee we bits of information from different things, you know. So no one ever told you that you were working class or middle class or anything like that when you were growing up. No, I'd, I'd heard phrase I'd, I'd heard the phrase working class and I'd heard the phrase middle class. I didn't know what they were. I had no clue about politics, and then. Um, when I was 16 we had the Scottish referendum so then that kind of got me a wee bit interested in it and then when I was maybe like 19, 20 um, I started to really get into classism a wee bit um, and actually kind of learning what, what it was all about um, I think that was because I, I went to do drama at college so obviously trying to then get into work in the arts industry it's like it feels impossible when you don't come from a family where they've got all these contacts and all these money and um, so that kind of I got really angry about it and really kind of um, frustrated and probably used it as like a bit of an excuse for a bit as well um, but I think a lot of those excuses are actually quite valid so it's a difficult kind of middle ground to find in terms of like being frustrated but then doing something about it and not just being frustrated and kind of going in a bit of a huff. Um, so why? Well, um, I think it's Michael Sheen, the actor. Is, is Michael Sheen the Welsh actor? Yeah. Yeah. He um, he decided just recently to uh, create a fund, a sort of like a fund that people from working class backgrounds or people from a background that can't afford these connections that you talk about so that they can have the help because when he was a young man uh, when I was a young lady we could just walk into a, a drama school we we would be funded to do whatever we wanted and uh, all doors were open for us but now they're, they're firmly closed and uh, so yeah I, I totally get the, the, the frustration and anger. Did you realise that that had a political reason? 
below that. You know, the, the fact that the Tories have, have decimated, well, not even the Tories, but the establishment behind the government are responsible for the position that you find yourself in now. No, I I didn't probably realise that until you just said it there. Um, no, do, do you know what I say? Like, cause I'm still, I'm still kind of learning. It's all, it's all very new to me. So, um, and the more, I, the more I go on, I do start to realise how it's more of like a, a government issue, maybe as opposed to like pointing the finger at someone who lives in the big house and saying it's because it's not. We're all kind of, you know, we can't choose where, what house you're born into. Um, but I not until you've kind of just said it there. I suppose it's. It's, um, last year, I'm just taking everything in, just trying to learn as much as I can. Well, in the 80s, I can't remember the exact year, but in the 80s, the Tories at that time, uh, the Conservatives made a video, and they, a promotional video to join the Conservative Party. And they had loads of young people, uh, which I was a young person at that time, it could have been me in that video, and they were saying... Um, you want to do whatever you want, don't you? You don't care what your parents say you should do. You want to do whatever you want. Come and join the Tories and you can be as greedy as you like. They didn't actually say you could be as greedy as you like, but that's what they inferred. And a lot of people, young people, rushed toward that, thinking, yeah, we can better ourselves. But a lot of unscrupulous people took advantage of that fact. And now we are at, we're at the the other end of consumerism and capitalism that means they, you know things are more important than people so yeah so you came to this event tonight this is the first time you've ever been to a political event yes yes i think uh yeah when i when i was in school um i think it was like compulsory we went to this kind of like independence referendum debate thing with like nicola sturgeon and um someone else who I can't remember but uh, apart from that yeah this is the first time I've actually as an adult been to like a political event being were you 16 at that time did you say 16 yeah so I was I was part of the the age group just able to vote yeah um, and I say that I think especially in Scotland I think that kind of started to make at least my generation more kind of political or get more aware of it and more um interested in it which you know is only going to be a good thing yeah yeah exactly because the thing is that um we all feel like we have no power that we can't influence things that we can't change things and most of us stop there and we we accept that we can't change anything and none of us hardly any of us go further than that although i think the younger generation you are going further than that but a lot of us don't go any further than that and don't think hang on, why are we in this situation? And when you look at it, everything is political. And, and, and your voice, your voice as a young person especially, can change things for people around you, for other young people. But if you don't believe in yourself, how can you be expected to, or how can you expect to, to challenge the, the status quo? So, yeah, what you're doing is... Um, by getting involved in the referendum for a start and now getting involved in just educating yourself you don't have to believe what you hear but you're hearing at people's actual experiences so they're a lot more valid than what some guy in a suit 
uh, says to you that 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 takes home a hundred thousand pounds at least per year and has never met the likes of you or would walk step over you in the street if you were laying there bleeding wouldn't they no absolutely so um what i, I just want to say you know do you think that were you taught any politics at school? You know, do you, any at all apart from the independent referendum? Scotland is a little bit different from the UK, uh, from England, because of we don't get any political political education here whatsoever, because they want to keep the people dumb. They don't want to realise they've got so much power. You, you hold the power in your hands with your vote. You know, and if enough, somebody said to me. Uh, um, I would vote for the Green Party, but they never get anywhere, so I won't bother. <coughs> and I said, yeah, but if everybody who said that to me today, which was a lot of people, if everybody voted how they wanted to vote, the Green Party would be winning everywhere. So uh, do you think that this is just the start for you? Will you get involved with with politics more, or at least actions, direct actions, Extinction Rebellion, or... Palestine action or anything like that? Have you heard of any of them? Um, the Extinction Rebellion one, I actually didn't. I actually didn't know about until about two months ago when when I came to Brighton because there's quite a lot of stickers and things here for it. Um, and then since working in a, a Palestinian restaurant like that, so I've been speaking to my owner. He's been telling me more about it um, because I think beforehand I was always kind of like when I was younger, I was kind of like ignorance is bliss. But then as I'm getting older, I'm realising like you can't kind of go about life like that, you know. Um, so I've been asking like my boss at the restaurant about it. He's been telling me about what's happening in, um, in his home country, and um, I think yeah, like I am really interested in politics, and I think being like a like a, an artist, like a, a writer, and um, things like that, like it's, it's that's kind of what I'm pushed into want to create things about. Um, so I, I think I think this might be the start for me, but I don't know. I'll just I'll wait and see. I'll wait and see. Well, we'll have to uh, invite you onto our show um, in a few weeks' time or a few months' time uh, and see where you go. You might just you might then be a, uh, the leader of Palestine Action and um, the Extinction Rebellion Brighton and yeah. <laughs> um, uh, we look forward to hearing how you get on. Thank you very much. So to start with, I think it's important that we establish who Keir Starmer is. <laughs> Member of the Trilateral Commission, that intelligence-linked body which attempts to govern the world between a small, very small group of powerful people. He was Director of Public Prosecutions and during that time he proposed 10-year prison sentences for people who were found to have quote-unquote, cheated on benefits. During that time, he opened 24-hour courts and double sentences were put forward for people that were across the country rising up in a riotous fashion. But even in some cases, you had people that stole a bottle of water from the shop. 24-hour courts for them. What else? did Keir Starmer do as Director of Public Prosecutions? Well, there was two points when MI5, in one of them, was put on the table for charges to be brought against them 
for collaboration with the CIA in rendition and torturing. One case, he said no charges to be brought here. Another case against MI5 and MI6, he said no charges to be brought here. And we know that not long after that, he went for social drinks with the head of MI5, Jonathan Evans. We also know at the same time he was handling the Julian Assange case as public prosecutor, he met with the US Attorney General, Eric Holder. We also know that there are environmental campaigners today who are calling for him to give evidence to the public inquiry into the use of spy cops to infiltrate political movements questioning whether he was involved in some form of cover-up about the activities of those spy cops. Who else is Keir Starmer? He is second only to Tom Watson as a recipient of funds from the Israel lobbyist Trevor Chin. When we talk about Keir Hardy's Labour Party, what we seem to forget is that when Keir Hardy came out against World War I and the defense of small nations argument, arguing that Belgium had occupied the Congo and had killed millions of people in the Congo. Of course, he didn't mention that at that time, Britain was occupying 12,700,000 miles of the globe, so clearly did not have much regard for quote-unquote small nations. But what happened to Keir Hardy in the British parliamentary system when he did that? He was denounced as Keir Von Hardy. He was called an agent of the Germans. He was lambasted, and his death was not even marked in Parliament. Doesn't that sound familiar? Yeah. The leader of the Labour Party being depicted as a foreign agent for opposing industrial killing. What about the social imperialist Ramsay MacDonald? In 1924, something called the Zenevieve Letter was published. It was purported to be from the head of Communist International in Moscow, as a letter written to Britain. It said the following, a settlement of relations between the two countries will assist in the revolutionizing of the international and British proletariat, not less than a successful rising in any of the working districts of England. As the establishment of close contact between the British and Russian proletariat, the exchange of delegations and workers will make it possible for us to extend and develop the propaganda of ideas of Leninism in England and the colonies. Let's not forget that Britain, in order to do what Winston Churchill described as strangling the Russian Revolution in its cradle, actually sent troops, thousands of troops, to Russia at the end of World War II. It was because of mutinies in the army, it was because of those who refused to load weapons onto SS Jolly George, it was because of heroic resistance of the revolutionaries in Russia that Britain failed in doing that. However, this letter was enough to harm Ramsay McDonald's in the election. However, the letter was a fraud. It was a fake. And actually, Zenevieve 
said regarding this. It's not difficult to understand why some of the leaders of the Liberal Conservative bloc had recourse to such methods as the forging of documents. Apparently, they seriously thought they would be able at the last minute before the election to create confusion in the ranks of those electors who sincerely sympathised with the treaty between England and the Soviet Union. It's much more difficult to understand why the English Foreign Office, which is still under the control of McDonald's, did not refrain from making use of such white guardist forgery. When it came out in 2011 in Jonathan Pyle's book, Churchill's Secret Enemy, that actually the letter, according to Pyle, had been written by Sir George Joseph Ball, who was, at that time, a long-serving MI5 officer. What about Harold Wilson? This was someone that MI5, it is believed, had a file on from 1945 under the name of Henry Worthington. And it was said when Harold Wilson called in Barry Penrose and Roger Courtier from the BBC and said to them that the deep state was moving against him. Of course, the BBC at that time depicted it as the ramblings of a bit of a paranoid <coughs> madman. But of course, Harold Wilson wasn't the only source for that claim. MI5 officer Peter Wright, in his book Spy Capture, said that when Wilson was elected in 1964, that the CIA's uh, counterintelligence head, James Angleton, said to him that Wilson was a Soviet Union agent. And in fact, they had murdered Hugh um, Gatesgill and put Harold Wilson in power as leader. This was purportedly what was said to him by the CIA head of counterintelligence. But of course it wasn't just those people that were the source for it. It was also Colin Wilson of British military intelligence in, uh, Colin Wallace, sorry, in British military intelligence at the time. He's, he made clear with the clockwork orange notes Operation Clockwork Orange, these were attempts by the military intelligence to build dirt on people who were currently serving in the Labour government and specifically Harold Wilson. And the plan was to leak those bits of information to those in the media who would cooperate with them. Of course, it's also well known that you had the Operation uh, Marmion, the occupation of London's Heathrow Airport, take place in January 1974. Of course, the election was in February. And so what took place, no, the election was not in February, sorry, but at the beginning of 1974, you had this shutting down of the airport. And it was believed by Harold Wilson and others that this was about a plan for military deployments in the case of a coup. Now, all of this was taking place simultaneous to the Special Demonstration Squad infiltrating a thousand different political groups in this country. 99.9 of them were on the left. You're talking about the infiltration of the Fire Brigades Union, the RMT, the Union of Construction, um, the National Union of Teachers, even the National Students Union. 
Union of Students. You're even talking about organisations like Eat Out Vegan Wales, Anti-Fur Campaigns, Housman's Bookshop, The Rebel Clown Army, Veggie Caterers, um, Veggies Catering Nottingham, and a US Hedgehog Rescue. <laughs> that was all also simultaneous to the security services vetting BBC employees. Now, it's said that the BBC actually requested this service from the security services. And at that time, you had even a loose affiliation to the following organisations was enough for MI5 to tell the BBC not to employ you. These are the organisations. The Communist Party of Great Britain, Socialist Workers' Party, Workers' Revolutionary Party, and Militant Tendency. And we're not just talking about the people that ended up on screen. The MI5 actually had this vetting process um, regarding those that were in religious broadcasting for the BBC, those that worked in the makeup and wardrobe departments for the BBC were even being vetted by the MI5 at that point. Now, on the question of apartheid, let's not forget that the British establishment collaborated with the apartheid regime in South Africa in a very important way. agents of the apartheid regime were planting bombs in London on three different occasions. The British state was infiltrating anti-apartheid organisations in this country and giving that information directly to the apartheid government, even infiltrating jumble sales of those anti-apartheid activists. And some of those people whose, whose information was given to the apartheid regime ended up getting killed in South Africa. You even had Blair Peach, as we know, being killed by the police. And what happened after that? 18 undercover officers were at his funeral. And his partner, Celia Stubbs, was surveilled for 40 years afterwards. This is what has happened to the left. When they tell the story, remember, we are the most infiltrated. Yeah. Now, when you look at what it was that drove people to join the imperialist internal surveillance system and weapon of the establishment, the Labour Party, in the Corbyn years, it was because what we saw in Corbyn was a break in the bipartisan orthodoxy of neoliberal necro policy. Necro -policy. That is to say, people in many different ways, whether it was the Iraq war or it was the austerity which Professor Danny Dawling of Oxford University pre-corona had found killed 130,000 people in this country. It was that that took the membership of this deeply dangerous institution beyond half a million people. And now, and now, people like us are being cleansed from the party. It is because the majority of the population are in favour of public ownership. The majority of the population are against nuclear weapons. The majority of the population are against over 100 US military bases being in this country. The majority of the population are against this misallocation of resource, our resource, towards murdering people and their 
and basically footing the bill for neoliberal ghouls and zombies. That's against the will of the majority of the population. And it is that that they must kill. Now those that have been subject to this process have been targeted by death threats. There's been a cynical inclusion of a Samaritan's number in the letters, which actually shows, shows an acknowledgement that this is deeply damaging to people's mental health. Let's not forget that the infiltration that took place, and of course still takes place to this day, was hand in glove with private business and was useful for companies when blacklisting workers. Thousands of people were blacklisted in these forms of arrangements. We know that there's been an attempted suicide on the back of this horrific witch hunt. I in fact have a friend whose father was murdered by a neo-Nazi terrorist who had prior to that planted bombs outside mosques in this country. She, she was suspended from this party. Why? Because she retweeted me. And what was the tweet that she retweeted? UN General Assembly Resolution 3379. Zionism is a form of racism and racial discrimination. That's all the tweet said, and that seemed to be enough. Now a word, a word on LBC, which I think is vital for us to be aware of, because without the campaign of organizations like it, yeah. you would not have had the impression created by people in this country that the situation was what it was. Well, it's owned by Global Media, which also owns Capital Extra, Half, Classic, Classic FM, Smooth, XFM, and Gold. Owned by a gentleman by the name of Ashley Tarbor King. His father, Michael Tarbor, financed this organization and is registered in Jersey and seems to pay no corporation tax. It's not all. Ashley Tarbor King has a charity by the name of the Ashley Tarbell King Foundation. Through this charity, it funds a mysterious military organization by the name of Tagmore Foundation. That's Gaelic for the big house. This organization, which he funds, says that it promotes the efficiency of the armed forces of the crown and the crown's servant, servants. On the board of his charity, as is someone who is his CEO at Global, is Stephen Mirren, who, you know, it's clearly a conflict of interest that this man is the CEO of this company that owns all these radio stations, but he's also simultaneously on the board of Universal Music. And prior to this, he was, of course, the managing director of The Mail on Sunday. Who else is on the board of this charity? And again, involved in the organization that owns LVC, Lord Allen, Charles Allen of Kensington. He was made a Lord by Ed Miliband's Labour Party, and he is the chairman of the Cleaning and Catering Corporation, ISS, which has been the subject of many different workers' revolts. Now, it's also benefited massively from the privatization of the NHS, largely through PFI schemes, who else is on the board of this charity but not working in the organization which owns LBC? Major Henry Stephen Jones, he is on the board of something called Together All, which has 
contracts from the Ministry of Defence for examining the mental health of soldiers. To what end, I wonder. He's also on the board of Aconix. Now, Aconix uh, was bought by Oracle and has contracts from the US Department of Defence in software and uh, cloud infrastructure. Also, they have contracts from the Ministry of Defence. Also, can we really separate this from the kind of campaign, knowing, knowing that you had figures in the armed forces coming out and saying that they would, yeah. there would be mutinies, there would be a coup, essentially, against Corbyn. Knowing that we saw people in the armed forces shooting at pictures of Corbyn. Supposedly, this took place in Afghanistan. Do we really know that for sure? Can we separate any of that from what we are talking about? This establishment is very, very adept at reproducing its power in numerous invisible ways. And again, to echo some of the points made, our problem perhaps was our naivety yeah. in approaching quite how sophisticated these things would be. And so then we're in a position where you have a comedian by the name of Finn Taylor on Have I Got News For You, actually joking, joking, that all Corbyn supporters should be gathered at Glastonbury yeah. so it can be bombed. Yeah. On primetime British television, this joke was told and laughed at. When you have places of meeting threatened with the kind of things that Jackie just detailed, what is it that we are really dealing with when we're talking about the establishment? When you see an organisation that gave the Labour Party 10 pledges that the new leadership had to audition to display their loyalty towards those pledges, the Board of Deputies, after Corbyn, after Corbyn has been brought down, putting in its trustees report of 2020 for the first time in the history of the Board of Deputies, the following sentence. It has a close working relationship with the Embassy of Israel in the UK and strengthened links to the Israeli Ministry of Strategic Affairs and the IDF. And not one, not one journalist yeah. said anything. That is the type of situation we find ourselves in today. And what about those celebrities and those stars of the Kill Corbyn movement? Yeah. From John Mann to Ian Austin and Joan Ryan. Where do you think they gloated after bringing down Corbyn? Yeah. Well, it was a panel for the American Jewish Committee, which I might add, which I might add, in the United States opposed the boycott of Nazi Germany. That is historical fact. And we saw a year ago, Joan Ryan, Ian Austin, and John Mann, and John Mann gloating. And in fact, John Mann said now his job was to extend what had happened in the Labour Party to the internet. And that is what he was aiming to do. He said, his aim was to make the term Zionist a term of insult or abuse. 
illegitimate and incompatible with activity within the Labour Party. Joan Ryan on the same panel actually said that it was now time for Starmer to call the people who joined the party under Corbyn. These people don't know their history. They don't know their history. The person credited with founding, with, with, with coining, sorry, the phrase Zionism was Nathan Birnbaum. And he later became an anti-Zionist. So under the Labour Party, you have a situation where the very person that coined the term Zionism could be expelled for being an anti-Semite on the basis that he then opposed Zionism. What has happened to us here has been violent. As far as I'm concerned, now I exist to harm their interests. Yeah. That's it. that we have to build long-term, face-to-face, and in our communities. Mm. We have to disrupt the passage of power, yeah. and we have to draw closer to each other. Thank you very much. Uh, thanks for watching this evening, and uh, we'll see you next week.